Mark 6 and verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he's Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came on his birthday. Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a dish. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he didn't want to refuse her, so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a dish. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all that had been done and taught. Then, because of so many people were coming and going, they didn't have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than... Half a year's wages, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. And Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken bread, of of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. So Jesus' influence and ministry has been snowballing. That's one of the consistent things we've seen week on week on week as, as Mark has recounted this story of the gospel, this story of Jesus. From chapter 1, really, he's become the talk of the town, the talk of the country. And as we reach these two little accounts in, in Mark chapter 6, I think that's one of the things that holds them together. 
See in verse 14, Jesus' name has become well known. And then in verse 31, so many people were coming and going. He didn't have a chance to eat. So his popularity is causing problems. These are some of the outworkings of that popularity. That's something that unites the two accounts. But what divides them is where we'll focus this evening. We're going to spend most of our time actually in the feeding of the 5,000. But but as I read it, the account of Herod, 14 to 29, acts as something of a foil for us for the 5,000. Herod gives us an insight into um, what people were making of Jesus. Herod gives us a little arrow ahead to what will come when Jesus himself meets Herod, his treatment under the same man. But I wonder if Mark puts these two accounts together for a reason. He puts these two accounts side by side so that we compare and contrast what leadership looks like. Herod is the bad example. He, in a sense, he was, he was the king of Israel. He was a Roman ruler, at least in the region of Galilee. But it was his job to rule these people. He was the leader of the people, in a sense. He controlled the land. And yet we'll see he is a king who is hard-hearted, a king who is selfish, a king who is proud, a king who wants to save face, a king who, who takes life, completely unlike Jesus, who shows compassion to the crowds. And so people were asking that question, who is this Jesus guy? It's a key question at that time is a key question at any time. And there are different answers coming up. There are three main camps that seem to um, be told by Mark for us. So there's the first one. He's John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. You see that in 14. The gospel starts with him, if you remember John. He was popular. He was an important individual in the story of Jesus. Then you get Elijah in verse 15. Again, remember, that's interesting because John is painted in Elijah-type colours, with Elijah brushstrokes. It was expected that one like Elijah would come before the Lord. And then 15, a prophet like the ones of long ago. There are three different options. We'll see them again in chapter 8, when Jesus asks Peter, who do you think I am? Again, he, he trots out these three different options. But then he gets it right in part, you're the Christ, although he gets it wrong, the kind of Christ he's going to be. But it's interesting here, we get three different options already. But Herod is confused because he's had John the Baptist killed. Why did he have him killed? Because he, he criticised, um, John criticised Herod marrying his brother's wife, Herodias. And John makes enemies, therefore, of Herodias. So John thinks, sorry, Herod thinks John has come back again. Now, we can look back at some of the Jewish history of the time. It's interesting here. Josephus, the Jewish historian, um, seems to imply that Herodias divorced Philip while he was still alive. So, Philip and Herodias were married, but then Herodias leaves Philip for Herod, which would have been very unusual and completely outrageous. So, it would have been something that raised eyebrows. And John criticises him, but Herod is interesting. Verse 20, he he protects him. He's puzzled by him. He likes to listen to him. And yet he was tripped by Herodias' daughter. She dances, she pleases them, he, he offers her whatever she wants. 
and she says John's head. Turns out Herodias wasn't quite so much a fan of John as her husband was. We see Herod and he is proud and he is stupid and he is selfish and he is all about saving face. He fears the crowds already. And so, John's head on a dish. That, I think, is meant to contrast with verse 30 onwards when we see Jesus. Again, he's popular. He's popular so that the crowds have gathered. People have rushed and walked and run and chased and swamped and hounded to head Jesus off. To, to reach the place before he gets there. They've been planning on taking a rest, verse 31. Planning to take some post-mission time out with the apostles in the back of beyond. And yet the crowd get there first. What would you do? You want a bit of rest. You want some quiet. What does Jesus do? He has compassion on them. He has compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so what does he do, verse 34? He begins to teach them many things. He teaches them about God as only he can. And the disciples, though, that they're getting itchy. Um, a bit stressed. They're in the middle of nowhere. They've got 5,000 men, it tells us. So perhaps even three times that in total, if you include women and children. It's a lot of people. And thirdly... These people are getting hungry. And there's not a McDonald's in sight. What do you do? So the disciples, ever the practical, they, they quietly sidle up to Jesus. Um, but boss, we've, we've got a bit of an issue. We've got all these people, and you seem to have forgotten the time. It's late, they've been here for hours, they're hungry. We're in the middle of nowhere. Send them off. They had a lovely day out. Send them out to the local villages to go and get some food. They can get their dinner in before it's dark. How about that? Jesus says, no, 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 you you give them something to eat. I take it there's a collective gulp. Us? We feed them. How much is that going to cost? That's 15 grand's worth of bread. Have you got that kind of money on you, Jesus? Because we left our jobs to follow you. What do we do? Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? And the disciples go away and have a recce. Who's, who's got packed lunch left at the end of the day? Five loaves, two fish. It's not going to feed many. Unless the loaves are enormous and the fish are whales. And they pass the measly collection in front of Jesus. And, and he gets them to sit down in groups of hundreds and in groups of fifties. And he takes the five loaves and he takes the two fish and he gives thanks to God and he breaks them. And he gives them to the disciples to pass out. And you can imagine if, if you're at the start, you're getting kind of tiny crumbs. There you go. Enjoy. I don't think there'll be seconds. But the bread just keeps coming. And the fish, the portions get bigger and bigger and bigger and the disciples are gaining confidence and everyone's amazed. Everyone is stuffed and satisfied. How does that happen? There were leftovers even. But what's it about? 
What is this interesting, miraculous story about? I take it it's this. Mark wants us to see that Jesus is the good shepherd who provides what we need. We can see that he's good, we can see that he's kind, we can see that he's compassionate because he, he fills their heads with words of God and fills their bellies with food. And they eat and they are satisfied. But it's more than that. He's the good shepherd who provides what they need. And to get that, you have to look back at the Old Testament. You have to understand why Mark is explaining it as he does. And we see from Ezekiel that Jesus is the good shepherd. And we see from Exodus that he's the rescuer who provides what we need. So Ezekiel, Jesus is the shepherd. Now imagine with me, you are a sheep. Imagine you're white and you're fluffy and you love eating grass and you love following other sheep. You're a bit directionless. You're a bit stupid. You're completely reliant on a shepherd to look after you, to keep you safe, to feed you, to provide for you. You can't do anything yourself. You need him to tell you where to go for food and where to go for water. You need him to protect you from the butchers and the wolves. And yet look at verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. They needed something. But Jesus thought they needed teaching. Because you see, everyone's got their take on life. And everyone's got their take on what's going on in reality. But really it's just the blind leading the blind. And and they see some clarity in Jesus and they swarm to him. They want to listen to him. Because they realise he has authority to teach. He has authority. He has a voice worth listening to. And back in Ezekiel, the leaders of God's people were blasted because they weren't being shepherds. That they were to look after God's people, they were to care for them, they were to teach them. And yet Ezekiel says, you just care for yourselves. And so God promises that he will send a ruler who will be a good shepherd, who will have compassion, who will teach and be kind and care for God's people. A true shepherd. And here is Jesus. He sees people as as sheep. And provides the shepherding voice they need. My little Abby has started school. um, Or nursery school at least. In September. And when I or Zoe go and pick her up. Often what happens is, is that the teachers will tell you how she's got on. What she's done today. Whether she ate. Whether she's done artwork. And who she's played with. And that kind of stuff. Little friends that she's making. Imagine that I were to go and pick her up from school. Um, and, and to find her there in tears. I ask, you know, what's, what's the matter? She says, well the, the teachers weren't here today. They just went to the pub. And the kids had been left all by themselves. So the kids had had nothing. They had no, no food. They were just left to themselves. You see, when we, when we take her at nine o'clock and, and entrust her to them, we expect them to care for her and to look after her and to, to love her, to provide what she needs. 
Also, God had entrusted the people into the care of leaders in Ezekiel. And they were to teach them of God and his ways. They were to care for them and shepherd them. But they had just been to the pub. They had just been caring for themselves. They were bad shepherds. And so the people here also are like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus turns up and and leads and cares and feeds and has compassion on the people of God. In a sense, the shepherds of Ezekiel are rather like Herod. They were just in it for themselves. A little bit later as well, we shall see Pharisees again in Mark. They are rather like the shepherds of Ezekiel. In many ways, just in it for themselves. And you've got these two bookends. You've got Herod and you've got Pharisees and then you've got Jesus in the middle. who has compassion and kindness. And what do they need? Well, we've said they need teaching. They need truth about God. And it's striking as well that he provides physically for them. There's just an interesting model for ministry in there, isn't there? That, that it's not just about teaching and it's not just about loving people and providing practically what they need. It, it must be both. It's a model for us as we care for one another. But it's a model for us as we engage with the world. I wonder particularly if it's a model for us as as elders, as leaders among you as well. Willing to teach and to make sure that that truth is going out and yet kind, practical love providing for the needs of the people. So Jesus, he's the good shepherd. And secondly, he's the rescuer. So the second picture that Mark seems to paint, I think in these verses, with a sort of Old Testament flavour, is seen in the language that Mark uses describing what's going on. I'm afraid it's a little missed in our verses. So you get it in 31 and 32 and 35, when it's talking about the quiet place. So 31, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Or verse 32, they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Or 35, this is a remote place. Now, the word there is the same word and it's wilderness. So it could be, come with me by yourselves to a wilderness. They went by themselves in a boat to a wilderness. This is a wilderness, they said. And by wilderness, we don't mean John Wayne horseback. We, we mean Old Testament type wilderness. They were to think of their own history. They Think of God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt and taking them to an amazing promised land. But on the way they go through wilderness. And as they were on their way in the wilderness, at every step of the way, God miraculously feeds his people what they need. He provides for them. In fact, he subdivides them into groups of hundreds and fifties. God gives them what they need. And he provides them with this bready substance called manna. Do you see some of the lines we're meant to draw? Do you see what Mark is saying? Saying there's another rescue going on. Get ready for another rescue. Mark is saying Jesus is the leader who is going to provide for God's people, who is going to rescue them, lead them away from slavery to the promised land where they're safe. 
And you see, when Mark wrote this, God's people up until this time had been waiting, waiting, waiting. Centuries of waiting. For hundreds of years they had been scattered like marbles, they had been chucked out of the promised land, then brought back into the promised land, but they weren't home. They weren't really home. They were still exiles, they were still scattered in a sense. Still waiting for a rescuer, a king, someone to come and gather them up and look after them, to lead them. And here is Jesus, the the shepherd of Ezekiel who comes to look after the sheep. Jesus who, who gathers his people like the Moses of Exodus to bring them to the promised land. Maybe we're thinking, so what? So what? This talk of bread and fish and sheep and Exodus and Ezekiel, and it seems a long way away from my week. It seems a long way away from me and my life. What's it got to do with us? Lots. Just a couple of things to be chewing over this week. One, just notice the kind of leader that Jesus is. The kind of king, the kind of shepherd. Remember his goodness. Remember that he is compassionate and kind and patient. Remember that he provides what we need in the wilderness. This is, this is not just in the pages of the Bible. This is you in your week. He's the kind of king you can lean on. He is compassionate and good. Be assured that he will provide what you need, whatever that means in your context or situation at the moment or in months or years to come. He is kind and compassionate. Second thing as well is, in saying that Jesus will provide what we need, there's a sense in which Mark hasn't really told us what it is we need yet. There are very immediate, obvious needs here, of food, daily bread. But he hasn't told us what we need rescuing from. If we're thinking that there's this wilderness motif going on, if if he's a kind of Moses rescuing us from slavery and taking us to freedom, what is this slavery? Is he talking Romans? or What's going on there? We've had some hints already at the start that there's more going on. Do you remember when he deals with Satan in the wilderness? At the beginning in chapter 1. So it's is more than just a physical rescue, it seems to be. Or chapter 2, he starts talking about sin and forgiveness of sins. We're going to have to wait till next week to find exactly what we need rescuing from. But we'll see in chapter 7, with real clarity what it is. The problem is sin and the problem is internal. The problem is our hearts. That is why we need a rescue. So reflect upon his compassion and kindness and goodness for you. And reflect upon what it is we need a rescue from. And of course that rescue points us ahead to chapter 15 when we get to the cross.